podcasting in the deep depths of cyberspace. This is Darn IT Podcast, Cybersecurity Made Simple. And I'm your host, Darling G, CEO of Darn IT Group. Episode 36, Cyber Sovereignty and You. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Should be a doozy. Maybe you'll enjoy it. Maybe you won't. We'll see. All right, everyone. Cyber Sovereignty and You. This is a interesting topic and an interesting podcast for me to record because this will probably leave more questions than answers. And I, I really want you to sort of conceptualize what the internet is. You know, throughout the world, you know, we think the the internet is a sort of fixed asset and something like a utility that we all use. But over the many years and decades, the definition of the internet has really come to play. And even within the last five years, there has been a lot going on all over the world that makes you question the sovereignty of the internet because the initial conception of the internet was like a borderless global resource of connecting all of us together to the sort of information superhighway. Um, this is something that was, I guess, in mind the pun, a pipe dream. And over the many years when the internet's becoming more connected and has really changed the way we looked at the world, the way we looked at play, the way that we looked at work, and how governments looked at their people. And this perception, this change of mindset throughout the human race is essential. But on top of that, to sort of echo the the sentiments of of nations who fought various wars is if you control the information, you can control the people. Now, the internet is a information superhighway. It has troves and troves of data for many, many decades, years, centuries, etc. that everyone can have a look at. They can touch it. They can feel it. They can experience it from the comforts of their home. And this is where governments of the world, especially the, the ones who really like control, they have control over the internet, they have control over the content, and they have control over the data generated. Now, what does that mean? Well, one example is with the Chinese government and the fact that their sovereignty of their country is paramount to them. And ergo, the Great Wall of China, great, sorry, the Great Firewall of China, excuse me. And they control and own literally everything their citizens create. Now, depending on what side of the coin you're on, um, it's a good and bad thing. And especially for the Chinese government, um, they like to control over what is seen and heard. But is it far too much of a stretch to think and assume that in a democratic society that it's the same or it's different? 
do a lot of people think that we still have full accessibility to some content that is not being censored or controlled in some way? Well, here's the kicker. As much as we want to sit there and chastise the Chinese government about control, and don't get me wrong, they go a little bit over the top uh, and to the extreme, mind you. But when you think if you were in a democratic society, understand that not all of our data is, but some of our data may or may not be manipulated in some way, shape or form. So do you remember net neutrality? Have you been around with this whole debate in the early 2000s about net neutrality? I know there was a big um, issue in the United States uh, about you know creating net neutrality. There's been issues here in Canada. There's been a lot of a, a lot of situations where net neutrality has come to play, and governments, and especially democratic governments, is is just basically trying to walk that fine line. Uh, in Canada, for example, uh, I remember back, I think it's in 2008 or 2009, there were complaints against the Bill Canada about um, throttling certain websites that um, may or may not be in line with their beliefs, as well as TELUS has um, throttled internet as well. So the Internet Service Provider, or ISP for short, they have somewhat control over the data on the internet, and which begs the question, is net neutrality still a thing, or is this thing in the past? Now, I'm not going to talk about net neutrality in this podcast, but I just wanted to sort of plant the seed, the, the seed of thought for you guys, because cyber sovereignty and net neutrality, you know, sort of goes hand in hand. Cyber sovereignty is more of uh, what the country controls, um, what sort of uh, allowment is the apps or structures. And the, the biggest thing here is the ban on uh, Chinese created apps like TikTok, for example. Um, the divide was inevitable as the internet is not just for exchanging information, but it is also a powerful economic and political political tool. And this has been known um, for many years, but it really hasn't been put to light yet. And I think a lot of people now are seeing that the internet is used as a uh, propaganda machine. It could be used for uh, espionage, spying, uh, hacking, exploitation. It goes over and beyond the initial concept of the internet about connecting everyone to share information. So this has made a list of strict data controls um, in China, which closed off services from Facebook, Twitter, and other United States companies, and thus allowing Chinese tech giants like Weibo and WeChat to emerge. Now, the data that these Chinese apps control is literally in the hands of the Chinese government. Now, again, to kind of push it back to democratic societies, is it really any different? Because if you look at Facebook, Google, uh, most of these tech giants in the United States, do you really think that they are not or not in the cahoots with the government? I know there's been some, you know, you've seen uh, Mark Zuckerberg at the Senate in the United States, um, talking about certain privacy violations, etc. But do you really think that these corporations are not going to stay in the country or have the best interests of the country they originated from?
right? And, and this is kind of where I wanted to highlight the differences because I've seen a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment because of what they're doing. And to a point, you must understand that a country is trying to keep its its data control within its own country. And, you know, I also believe that in Canada, the same should be true for our nation. And there are, it's again up in the air right now um, with the different agencies, especially in this country. But I just firmly believe that a lot of the content data uh, corporations, information, etc., should be kept in the country and secured in the country because uh, if you guys ever recall uh, Nortel, Nortel used to be a huge Canadian uh, tech giant that was actually, after many years, was found to be taken down by the Chinese, and um, which really could be in the direct correlation of why Huawei is now uh, big in, in charge because of the stolen technology, the stolen IP from this Canadian tech giant, which was highly and incredibly unfortunate, mind you. But this really brings up the, the main message here as to why we must look at cyber sovereignty for each nation. Now, going back to the U.S., I don't know, a lot of you may or may not know this, but if you ever read up on the Cloud Act, uh, this Cloud Act empowers United States authorities to order America technology companies to hand over data stored anywhere in the world. This includes uh, Canada servers. So what this means is that this move has allowed uh, countries to wake up and protect their sensitive or commercially valuable information, um, just like Nortel, for example. So just to say, um, if you store, if you're Canadian and you're storing information on Google, for example, or on Facebook, for example, if you value your privacy in any way, shape or form, this should disturb you. Or if you are storing your information in Europe, for example, or, uh, or sorry, uh, American, uh, like a Google in, in Europe, for example. So any U.S.-based companies could indeed, according to the Cloud Act, release the information to the United States of America if there was a court order to do so. So and, and Google, Facebook, for example, all signed up for this. They all agreed to this because obviously that in terms of the sovereignty of the nation, that they want to make sure that their interests are, are best protected. So you're seeing a lot of other countries, um, and I'll get into that in a second, but you're seeing a lot of countries who are taking that move to protect themselves because countries like China and the United States, for example, are trying to move things in-house to protect themselves. Now, again, let me make this clear. I'm not saying this as a bad thing. I'm just stating that the uh, the IP, the intellectual property that these comp- these companies create or corporations, sorry, these the other C's, the countries create, um, they're trying to keep it within the country. Now, for example, um, in Russia, um, they have a sovereign internet law that allows authorities to track and block information from nations anywhere in the world. And they also have the power to sever their internet to the outside world in case of emergencies. Uh, India, for example, has blacklisted or banned a dozen Chinese apps um, as the tensions flared up between the two countries. So really, cyber sovereignty enables a sort of both cybersecurity, protection of things, censorship, suppression of information for political or for other reasons. So it is a all-encompassing attribute 
as you will, for the protections of data coming from that particular country. Now, what the Chinese say in, in terms of their approach is to preserve the stability. Um, the Russians, for example, called it a response to the threat of surveillance by the United States. Um, and the French and German governments uh, are creating a cloud initiative to provide uh, homegrown alternatives to U.S. tech giants. And I believe that's called uh, uh, Gaia X, I believe. And don't call me on that. But keep in mind, uh, Microsoft, uh, Alphabet or Google, Apple have thrown support behind the Cloud Act. So the, this is the United States effort to protect American interests on United States corporations, which, again, isn't exactly a bad thing. Let me make that very clear. They need to protect their interests and they don't want it to be like a Nortel. So you don't want, um, you know, startup companies or big tech giants in the United States to basically be sucked dry from the inside out by Chinese spies or infiltrators to the network infrastructure or to uh, Russian spies, etc. You know, for example, what happened in, in at Tesla with that employee who got um, who got um, spoken to by uh, a Russian who wanted to get this employee to in, uh, insert a USB key in their network to spread a ransomware virus, uh, and this individual would have been given millions of dollars. So obviously, other countries looking at ways to take down, to steal IP, intellectual property, from big U.S. tech giants. And this is the U.S.'s approach to protect their interests, just like how the Chinese are doing it to protect their interests. Now, speaking from a national security background, these tit-for-tat operations have been going on for many years. And for any of those who have or have not been in the, the game, as you will, uh, you know for a fact that this has been going on for many years and we're all trying to one-up each other. Now, for Canada, this is kind of where it gets a bit gray when it comes to the Cloud Act and Canadians because the Canada is currently negotiating uh, a bilateral data-sharing agreement with the United States because currently our privacy laws prevent disclosure to foreign law enforcement. But this is kind of counteractive or counterintuitive, as you will. So, for example, if a corporation in Canada decides to store information on Google Cloud, for example, or Azure, Microsoft Azure, sorry, essentially the U.S. authorities could essentially get that information, either that be sort of a medical or financial, or law, whatever, uh, that information is privy to American authorities. And this is kind of where that line gets drawn, and which is very concerning, especially for Canadians, because, you know, we're not that fast when it comes to these things. And um, we do have some pretty good privacy laws. But the, the interesting thing is when we have these collaborations with a, a superpower, especially in the United States, um, there's a lot of things that we must look into for our self-interest, but also for the interests of the U.S. as well. But fundamentally, being Canadian, we must focus on the protection of ourselves. So it also doesn't help that a lot of our our tech giants are stationed in, in the United States, and we don't have necessarily a a company that is at that caliber. So we don't have an Apple here. We don't have a Microsoft here. We don't have these types of companies that are that influential. So this is where cyber sovereignty and you 
come into play with all of this mix. We must take the approach. We must take the the brain power, the desirability to make sure that we protect our assets, our data assets, and our cyber sovereignty in cyberspace. Because understanding that all of this information can and will be shared at some point, and that a lot of other state-sponsored state cyber criminals will be looking for ways to destroy, disrupt, or steal that information. Thank you for listening to this episode of Darn IT Podcast, Cyber Sovereignty and You. I'm your host, Darnley G, CEO at Darn IT Group. Remember, look both ways before crossing the information superhighway. Safe computing, everybody. Bye.